Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled Points to Review was given by Darren Roundson and is the fifth in our series, The Kingdom. Hey, grab your Bible. We're going to run through the last five weeks of Mark and land in some practical steps. Um, so I really, I just want to really touch on that. You can, uh, if you have a cell phone, please turn it off. Just kidding. Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll pass one out to you. Okay. As, as a teacher, it's kind of troubling because I, I had this happen to me. I told you this story, but when I was in college, I was in Bible school. I went to a Vanguard University. The, the professor asked me, or the professor asked the class, much like I asked you, what was Jesus' primary message? And I said, love. And he said, no. And I was shocked. The primary message of Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God is at hand. And when I just asked you guys, most of you are followers of Christ. I'm going to assume. I don't need to. If you followed Jesus for the last year, would you raise your hand really quick? I'm not trying to isolate anyone. Okay, cool. That's most of us. Um, and no one, I, I was expecting for us to have hands like that up. If we don't know how to define the primary message of Jesus Christ, do you think something is the matter? I didn't know this until I was 20 years old. And I grew up in the church. And the church somehow forgot to tell me or train me in the way that Jesus' primary message was this topic. And how could I have no clue? Is, is anyone else, like, does anyone else feel robbed if you grew up in the Christian church and just feel like, if that's the primary message, how come I don't know it? Can I get some head nods maybe, some amens? That's, fr- that's frustrating So I want to say this just this morning. Do not leave this morning without knowing the the answer to that question. The primary message of Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom in what Jesus is talking about is the reign or rule of God. It is the, in my words, it is the expression of creation that God intended the world to be in in the first place. The kingdom is marked by wholeness, by by peace, by harmony, by healing, by justice, by joy. And Jesus says that is at hand. So we're gonna we're gonna go through the book of Mark, really the whole book today. So sit sit tight. Just kidding. Uh, Grab your Bible. Go to Mark chapter one. I just want to simply go through the stuff that we've talked about, highlight some main points, and then really land in some practical. How does this apply to us today? So Mark chapter one, verse one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. You will prepare your way. Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around uh, his waist and ate locusts and honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you 
with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when I talked about this? Mark starts off his gospel with this radical phrase. It says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's tying his book, the entire book of Mark, this narrative story, has to be read through the lens of the Old Testament. Do you remember this? I talked about Mark using the prophet Isaiah and and his, his prophecies of the new exodus as a way to to basically shape the way we interpret the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And that that phrase, in the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the title. And it's basically saying that in the beginning, tying Mark's Gospel to the story of God from Genesis chapter 1 on, this is simply the continuation of a larger story. Of the, of the good news, gospel means good news. Of Jesus Christ, it means, Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the name of God found in Exodus. Yahweh saves. Christ is, is the anointed one, the one prophesied in the Old Testament that would be filled with the Holy Spirit of the Son of God. Son of God is the phrase for the Messiah. So in the beginning of Mark, we look at the gospel as something that's a long story that happened way before Mark is writing, and it's the continuation of a bigger story, and that we have to look at the story through the lens of the Old Testament. And if you recall, I went through the entire story of Israel in a matter of 10 minutes. Remember, I talked about Egypt, I talked about Mount Sinai, I talked about Jerusalem, I talked about exile in Babylon and where those new Exodus prophecies come from. You guys following? Remember that? And then I talked about people going back to Jerusalem and those prophecies not coming true. And they were, they were waiting for, for, for the, those prophecies to come true. And then Mark writes his gospel as the fulfillment of those prophecies. So as we continue to read the rest of Mark for the rest of the story, we have to remember that there's, there's a larger story playing out. And, and the story of Jesus is a much bigger story than just his life, ministry, death, and resurrection. It's, it's God's redemptive plan from Genesis chapter 3 on. So that's, that's the first story. And then, then one more thing. Um, we talked about John the Baptist and what he was doing. He was preparing the way for Jesus. And he said, one's going to come. He's the Messiah. He's going to be God, most likely. John really didn't know. He said he's going to be a prophet. He's going to have power. But his ministry is going to be marked by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be marked by immersing people, overwhelming them with the Spirit of God. And so that's, how, that's the, the lens that, that we set the rest of the story up with Jesus is that he's coming in the power of the Holy Spirit, and his ministry is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's, part, that's the first week that we talked about. You remember that? You guys taking notes again? I might have candy next week. No, I won't. There'll be a TV. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, a new car. Um, Genesis, or Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Let's keep going. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the the heavens being torn open. And the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out to the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So um, Mark is telling a story, and what he says is that Jesus is going to come in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the first thing that Jesus does before he begins any public ministry is he comes and he gets baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And at his baptism, it's the heavenly realms are split open, and there's a dove that descends on him representing the Spirit of God. 
the first thing that happens is he's anointed by the Holy Spirit, and there's a voice from heaven that brings an affirmation of his identity. This is who you are. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. In the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, his identity is the first thing he receives before he begins his ministry. Before he begins to proclaim the message of the kingdom, he is simply already loved as he is, not as he should be. Do you, do you see the significance? As, as, Mark, as Mark writes this narrative, remember the intention of him writing is he's writing to an audience. People that would have been reading this letter would have been um, believers of Jesus around the 65 AD. Jesus died and, and was raised again in 33 AD. But in 65 AD, John Mark writes this narrative to remind those who follow Christ who Jesus is. And what, what Mark is lining up for us is that we cannot begin ministry, we cannot begin our following of Jesus, or even do anything outside of ourselves until we sit in the reality that we share the identity of Jesus Christ as the beloved Son, period. That's a great way to start off life. I'm going to talk a little bit more on the back end about how do we practically live that out. But so Jesus is affirmed in his identity. He's baptized by the Holy Spirit, or he's, he's, he's immersed in the Holy Spirit. And then it, the Spirit of God drives him out to the wilderness where he's tested and tempted by the Satan. Do you remember we talked specifically about uh, Satan is, is not this person that we've made him out to be, the medieval character with horns and a long tail that you're going to see walking around these streets when it gets dark. It's a, it, the, the translation of Satan is more like, more, uh, tra better translated, the Satan, which has to do with um, a position. And it, it's, it's, it's linked to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, but it, ha it means the accuser. So there's this person that's opposing God who's tempting Jesus. And we don't see it in Mark, but in the temptation of Jesus in the other Gospels, what is Jesus tempted by? What is he tested about? His identity. If you are God, if you are God's son, if you're the son of God, do this. And he's tested on, on his identity. When you guys, when we begin to, to walk in our Christian faith, when we rededicate, when we recommit to God, nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, this happens. Your identity is rocked. Your job gets taken away. Your friends start, you have conflict with your spouse. Things that, that you've settled your identity on begin to get pulled away and all of a sudden you, you, your life goes to turmoil. But that's because you're being tested most of the time on who you are. Are you the beloved of God? If you hold to anything else, you will fail. It's about identity. We have to grasp the core reality that we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. I feel like that's the theme for the last few weeks. That's, that keeps coming out, and we really need to, we need to really buy into that um, and live in that. Uh, and the last little point, you know, it's interesting. Why, why would Mark write in there, um, and Jesus was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. At this point, Mark is, is clearly saying that Jesus is the new Adam. Adam was intended to live with creation in such a way that he ruled and stewarded over animals. And because of sin and the curse, that was no longer the case. We're supposed to do that. But Jesus is bringing back to order what was lost in Genesis chapter 3. And so he's with the wild animals and the angels are ministering to him. 
Basically, he's the new Adam. It's a great theological point, bringing you back to Genesis. It's cool. I think it's cool. Again, I'm the nerd who gets scared when there's zombies walking around 4th Street. Partly because, let me tell you this, time out. I wasn't such a fraidy cat until last, last Halloween. I'm not going to give any names, but they're sitting in the front row over here. And um, I had some people from our life group that came by our house at 2 a.m. to wake me up, pounding on our door, screaming. And as I opened the blinds, there's the Joker from the Dark Knight mask right there. And my heart, I was so tired and scared. I didn't know what to do. I ran and grabbed Alex and put her in front of me. And um, <laughs> No, but seriously, I get, I get freaked out now because of that. I don't like you, Mike. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you. Uh, you know, because we're having fun, do you know what I did to get him back? <laughs> oh, is it? Okay, I'm not going to show you. If you want to know, come and talk to me. I guess it's, I guess it's illegal. Um, we'll confess sins later. Pa- uh, verse, verse 16. Verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. If you have your Bible, go there. I want to remind us of the calling of the disciples. Um, it says, uh, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his, uh, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of uh, Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. How many of you realize that I just skipped over the main point? Anyone catch that? I'm trying to bring this in. Before we get to the disciples, we have to look at the kingdom message. Let's go, let's read verse 14. I didn't mean to do that, that was an accident. Um, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the core um, foundational proclamation of Jesus Christ. Mark is basically bottling in a a couple of sentences, one sentence, what Jesus was teaching throughout his entire ministry. It's that the the kingdom, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. The time he's referring to is the age to come or the year of the Lord. This was a Jewish understanding of time that one day God would act in history again. And when God brings uh, his, uh, when God comes into history, it's called the day of the Lord. And when that happens, he's going to remove all of the sin and brokenness, all of the injustice, all of death. And he's going to bring um, what was called the year, of the, the year of the Lord. And what that was marked by was, it was marked by um, wholeness, it was marked by harmony, by peace, by healing. It was marked by the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus is saying this long-awaited time is here, it's at hand. And remember I gave you that weird... Um, graph that showed you that now and not yet stuff. I'm not going to get into that. If you would like to know more, you can email me. But Jesus says that time is here, and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. The rain, all of the stuff you're expecting, the wholeness, the peace, the shalom, all of that stuff is here. You can grab it. He's, he's offering it as an invitation for those that would believe in him. And he says the response to this message is repentance and belief. And, you know, we've heard of repentance uh, it, it, the word means to change, one, change one's mind. That's the Greek translation. Uh, the Hebrew translation is, of repentance is to, uh, to return home. Um, and, and what Jesus is doing with these two words, repentance and belief, he's, he's giving kind of a political ultimatum. 
It's, he's basically saying to those that would be listening to this message, align yourself with my agenda. Align yourself with my kingdom interpretation, with what I'm saying about the kingdom of God, and become belief, become a full participant in this new reality. So Jesus' repentance and belief is not a challenge as much as it is uh, an invitation first. First of all, you're invited to become a full participant in this new kingdom reality where you, you have a part to play in this message of the kingdom of God. And it's not what you think you should play, but it's what Jesus is inviting you to play as. Does that make sense? The kingdom message, you guys follow that? I want to make sure we're all, we're all on the same page because sometimes we hear this message and we simply think, well, repentance and belief is simply me grabbing this ticket and saying, yeah, I cognitive, cognitively accept the fact that that's true, but nothing in your life has changed. Nothing in your life looks like the kingdom has come to earth. Nothing in your life looks like wholeness or peace or joy or healing or resurrection. We, we, some of us live from crisis to crisis, from chaos to chaos, to broken relationship to broken relationship, to problem after problem, sucking in everyone else with us. You know those people. But as a follower of Christ, at some point we have to stay, we have to stand in the reality. We have to sit in the chair. We have to believe and walk in the reality, in the fact that it's true, that the kingdom is here and present and we become stewards of that kingdom. So when we pray, how do we pray? When we see ourselves, how do we see ourselves? When we see others, how do we see them? When we walk into work, how do we, how do we walk into work? If that's true. If the kingdom is at our fingertips. If we can grasp that wholeness that he talks about. That forgiveness, that healing. That's the core message of, of, of Jesus Christ. Now, um, that's what he, was, he, was, he would teach. That's kind of the, the nutshell and I already read this, but um, G- the story continues. Jesus is just about to start his public ministry, and he's walking on the Sea of Galilee, and he calls disciples. Now, if you recall, the significance of this particular story is the Jewish society framework. If you knew that when Jesus, as a rabbi, said to you, come follow me, if you knew what that meant, you would drop your nets, even if you didn't know anything apart from the fact that he was a rabbi. And Jesus was ministering around the age of 30. We can assume, for the most part, that he was most likely functioning out of a rabbinic role. And so when he calls the fishermen, he's saying to a society that has a various levels of schooling. And if you remember, there's three levels of schooling. Beit Sefer, Beit Talmud, and Beit Midrash. Beit Sefer, every Jewish boy and girl would go to school from age 6 to age 10 where they would study and memorize the Torah. After they were 10 years old and they would get through that schooling, most of them would go home and learn the family trade. The best of the best would go to Beit Talmud. Beit Talmud, they would study the rest of the Old Testament. And by the time they were 14, they would have the entire Old Testament memorized, Genesis to Malachi. And most of them at that point, would go home and learn the family trade. They'd become fishermen. They'd become housewives. They would start their family practice. They would just go on with the family business. But this Jewish society said the best of the best of the best would continue their education. You had to be the best of the best of the best. You had to be the brightest, smartest, most well-spoken, educated 14-year-old. And if you were, you would petition, and you would go to a rabbi and say, I want to follow you, and he would grill you. 
And after he's done grilling you, he would say, after he'd question, making sure that you were, you were bright, he would want to make sure that you knew the Torah, that you had the capacity to be like him. And if he didn't think you, you could, he would say, go home and learn the family trade. But if he, thought, if he thought you were good enough, if he thought you were the most elite that could spread his teaching around, he would say, come follow me. And their disciple in the first century would leave everything they knew. They would leave their family they would leave their, their friends, their local synagogue. They would leave their lifestyle. And they would devote their entire lives to following that rabbi so that they could become like the rabbi. So when Jesus is walking on the Sea of Galilee, Galilee and, and Mark says, for they were fishermen, he's saying they're young and they, they're just the second-hand students. They're the outcasts. They're the ones that didn't make the cut along the journey. They weren't good enough to be disciples. And Jesus looks at them as fishermen and says, I believe you can be like me. So they drop their nets. And remember, faith in Jesus begins with accepting the fact that God believes in us before we can believe in him. Faith begins, according to this passage, with God believing in us before we can believe in him. Is that good news? That's great news. And I, sat, I, I was here Sunday night, I think, just telling you how, how much I struggle with this reality. And I think a lot of us struggle with this reality. But again, this is about identity. Most of this, the last four weeks have been, five weeks have been about identity. And then the story continues, and this is the first day of Jesus' official public ministry. And Mark records this first day, and we looked at the first part of it. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. And immediately there was uh, in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, "What, um, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at, first, or at, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the, all the surrounding regions of Galilee. So Jesus' first public ministry, um, after he gathers the disciples, is one of proclaiming the kingdom of God in the synagogue. So he goes to um, the synagogue on the Sabbath. Every Jew would do this. And he gets in there, and as a local rabbi, uh, he's invited to speak, and he speaks. And and in the midst of a gathering, which would have been something like this, a man with an unclean spirit stands up and shouts, proclaiming who Jesus is. So the kingdom is proclaimed, and then it's opposed by another kingdom. Do you see that? Jesus begins to to just do his thing, proclaim the kingdom of God, and it's immediately opposed by a kingdom of darkness. And Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with defining the kingdom or defining the mission he has by anyone else. He wants to define his mission. He wants to define his kingdom. And so he tells this demon-possessed man basically to shut up and come out. And that happens. Now, in the first century, this would have been really unusual because most of the time, if someone was demon-possessed, and by the way, there was a spiritual warfare worldview in the first century, and most of the world today, write this down, 
in two-thirds of the world, Asia, Africa, Latin America, there's a spiritual warfare worldview. I'm going to talk about this next week. But the main thing is people actually believe that there are other, there's a spiritual realm where there's, pe- there's beings battling. There's good and evil. And so most, mo- most of the world believes if you get sick, I was just talking to a girl from the Philippines this last week, who, believes, uh, who, who comes from the background in the Philippines, that if they got sick, it's because they've done something wrong and a god is punishing them. Whether our god, they'll bring it into their religion, or other gods. In the first century, it's the same way. There's, a, there's this understanding that there's opposing kingdoms. And what we see in the New Testament is that there are, there is a spiritual warfare worldview. There are opposing kingdoms to the kingdom of God. And Jesus comes in and they say, wow, this guy has authority. He's not like the people that teach us every week. And what is that authority? Well, a scribe got an authority because he would quote other people. He would quote other rabbis, other scribes, other teachings. But Jesus comes in and basically the, the understanding of Mark is that he has an authority of self. That's cool. He has an authority of self. That he's interpreting and teaching out of who he is and out of what God says. And when that happens, it's confronted by the kingdom of darkness. And Bill talked about this last week, that um, the message for us then is to recognize that there are, there are opposing kingdoms in this world. And I know some of you, we come from this modern and postmodern, and now it's going towards hypermodern or hyper-postmodern um, culture and thinking. And, and because of the Enlightenment movement, we've uh, pretty much done away with anything that's spiritual. We have an explanation for everything. We can scan the brain and see the parts of the brain that are, worship, that, that are active when you worship in a community. So we get rid of all the mystical, spiritual side. But the reality is there are opposing kingdoms. And that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we stand as light into the dark world. And where we go, we bring that light. And most of us don't live in the, the authority that Jesus wants us to live under. Would you agree? And most of us are terrorized by the dark forces of the world because we've Hollywoodized them. We walk on 4th Street and we get scared of the Mormon bicyclist who's not really a Mormon zombie. He's just a guy dressed up, right? That's not real. But it's not even that. I think we're terrorized to not even share our faith. Bill made a great point about you know the Hollywood movies and the, and the terror of the demonic, but I think what we've done is we've become so afraid of what people think of us that we won't even stand up for truth. That's a worse terror than any other terror, I think. Freddy Krueger has nothing on complacency. Right? And what's this whole, what's the whole point of Mark? Wake up, disciples. Wake up. This is who Jesus is, and this is what you're supposed to do. Get your act together. That's the, that's the point. And so that was last week's message um, that Bill talked about. And next week, we're going to look at the Jewish, uh, uh, what Jesus does in, when, when, for the rest of the day. Because he's going to go and heal demons, and, or cast out demons and heal a sick, and we're going to be confronted by a leper. But what, what, I, what I wanted to do... Uh, Really, it was, this, this was just the, over, the overview. I wanted to catch us up to speed. Most of us are now caught up to speed. If you missed a week or if you haven't listened to the podcast, that's where we're at. That's kind of what we've taught on the, in a nutshell. But what I think would be helpful this morning is simply to say, how, how do we apply this? My wife always gets, me on, gets on me for this because I, I love theory. I love 
um, allowing the theory to just resonate until it becomes practice. But she's really practical. And she said, why don't you just talk through some practical stuff? So I just wanted to throw out three things that I think really to, to answer this question. How do we live a life of the kingdom according to these texts, according to this, the last five weeks of Scripture? How do we live a life of the kingdom of God? I think number one that I have is that we have to live in the shared identity of Christ. We must believe that God's view of us is one of beloved. We must truly accept and believe in that reality. That he is well pleased with us. And that only when we get that can we really start in effective ministry. That we can really start in in living a life that's not defensive. That's so insecure. That crumbles every time a wave hits us. Only when we stand in the reality of, of our identity will we, as the beloved children of God, will we begin to move outward into healthy ministry, into healthy life. Well, how do you do this? How do you actually believe that? And for those of you that know, I shared, this is so hard for me. This is really hard for me to accept. It's hard to believe the good things that God says about me. So what I've done is, uh, some of you, this might not be helpful. Some of you, this might be helpful. I do what's called spiritual discipline. And that's the idea that there are things that we can do to help us become more like Jesus. Um, uh, they, don't, they themselves don't make us like Jesus. They're not the ends in themselves, but the actual disciplines are the means to the end. So we fast, so, um, so we, God reveals stuff in the fast. So for example, when I fast, I'm really irritable. I'm really, I get really quick with Alex. And so I realize that my life is directed most of the time out of hunger. And I, I, I challenge some of you to fast. See how nice you are to the, to the rude guy at the counter when you're really hungry. See how, see how patient and self-controlled you are when you learn fasting. The point of spiritual disciplines for me, it's, it's like doing push-ups. You don't do push-ups so that you can be the best at doing push-ups. That would be silly. You do push-ups to get healthy or to get in shape. The end goal is not to get really good at the discipline. The end goal is to become more like Jesus. And, and disciplines are part of the way you can do that. So a discipline for me, how do I receive my identity? One is you wake up and you simply have to say to yourself the truth of Scripture. I am the beloved of God. It's not a self-help thing, but it's the reality that that's what's true and most of the time I don't practice what's true. So I live in my life and what happens is I begin to, I begin to believe the lies I've, I've heard my whole life. I believe the lies that society says about me. And maybe they're not saying them, but I'm interpreting that. So I'm interpreting the criticism as I'm not good enough. Does anyone else struggle with this? Or when my wife says, hey, I want to talk to you about something, my defense goes up. Maybe some of you are like me. And I think criticism has something to do with who I am. So I immediately put on, put on the walls, put up the walls, and, and I, start, I start making a case for why I did what I did, why I'm that way, why she's wrong, and I tear her apart. I do. And the reason I'm doing that is because there's an insecurity. And there's not a standing up tall in who I am in Christ. Uh, I mean, practically, if you're a young lady, you do not have to receive your identity from another man, period. You need to hear this. If you're a woman here and you struggle with getting your identity out of the, the boy who says you're beautiful over the living God who calls you beloved, well, you are not living in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit for you, living in the reality of the kingdom is simply saying, whether a boy likes me or not doesn't change or move me. 
Yahweh says I'm beautiful. So practically, how do we do it? We, we speak out the lies and claim the truth. When you, when you begin to hear the lies that you're not good enough, where you begin to, to feel the, the weight of, of condemnation, of guilt, of shame, of sin, you say, I'm holy. I'm a saint. I'm his beloved. You've got nothing on me. There is no condemnation for, for me. I'm in Christ Jesus. My life, according to Colossians 3, is hidden in the Trinity. Who can be against me if he is for me? That's what you do. You speak the truth and deny the lie. Is that helpful? And if you think about, if you start with yourself, think about what that does for others. You begin to see others as the beloved. How amazing would that be? To treat your roommate as the beloved son and daughter of God, or daughter of God, not both. Or to treat your spouse as the beautiful, beloved child of God. You're no longer defensive. You're no longer worried. It, it changes your whole perspective of reality. The way you see people will change by simply practicing and living in your identity. Is that helpful? Okay. Um, and that will bring freedom in your relationships by simply learning to live in that identity. I think that's, that's core. I was talking to Stephen today, and he was quoting from John. Um, what was that? I, I told you. First John 5. So what did it say again? Read it real quick. I didn't see it in five. I didn't see it in First John five ten. Yeah. So God loved us first. He loved, and I. I just need. I need this to settle, guys. Let's. I. I want to bang this with the drum for the rest of my life. God loves you as you are and not as you should be. And unless you accept that as reality, you have no chance. You have to grab onto that and do everything you can to live out of the reality that God loves you as you are and not as you should be. A year from now, I hope to stand here and never deal with the insecurities that I've dealt with a couple weeks ago. Let's do that together. Let's discipline ourselves. Let's, let's receive that love. Okay, number two. Um, is how, how, answering this question, how do we live a life of the kingdom? I think we have to live in the power of the proclamation of, of the kingdom of God. We have to live in the power of the proclamation of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, the fact that Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, we have to live in that reality. Because then he invites us to play a part. This is the message of, of the second week that we talked, or the third week. You, that means if you have a part to play in bringing the kingdom of God, that means you have a responsibility. That, makes, that means you, you, have, you, you have a responsibility to act in that. You have a responsibility to live in that reality. We don't get to sit on Sundays and just say, check it off the list, guys. Or I'm only going to drink a couple. Or, or however we manage our Christianity, we actually become full participants in the reality that the reign of the Messiah is here. How do you participate? Well, you know, I think for some of us, step one is, why don't we begin to pray in our workplace? I'm not saying start a Bible study. I'm saying, what if we ask God, what are you up to today? What are you doing here? Who can I pray for? When you go and you, you have your second grade class as a second grade teacher, say, how do, how do I bless 
Lord, how do I bless these children? How do I teach them things of the kingdom that, that don't cross, that cross the boundaries but never break the law? You know what I'm saying? As, as a construction worker, how do, I, how do I live with these men around me as the kingdom is present? Begin to ask that question. As a student, how do I steward my time? I hear students tell me all the time, I don't have enough time. Wait till you guys get older. Time goes away. How do you steward that? How do you steward relationships? Um, so, so some of you can pray. I, you know, I heard this story, and this is amazing. There's a girl in our church. She's not here this morning. I asked permission to share this. She's a registered uh, nurse at the Children's Hospital here in Long Beach, and she's in the neonatal ICU unit, ICU ward for, for premature babies, um, babies who are sick, newborns, I think. And uh, this, she was reminded in this message, in this series, of something someone spoke of her about praying for boldness and healing. And so she started, in the last couple of weeks, praying for all of the babies with boldness. And she said, I don't want to, I wrote it down. Uh, I want to get it right. She said, I need to be praying for the babies with boldness and not care what other people think. God called her to pray for healing over sick babies. That's what her job is. How cool is that? She's got to pass to the hospital. She's praying for the sick. I hope that that just keeps happening and healings begin to happen. It might take her a thousand prayers, but one day, who knows? God might be up to something with her. With you guys, with, with anyone, maybe we start praying for healing here. Maybe we pray in boldness. But wherever you're at, I want to challenge you to begin to just ask the question, what has God up to, and begin to pray. Um, the second thing, just one of the most powerful ways we can wake up there's so many ways. How do we live in the power? Do you guys realize that the kingdom is about acceptance? That Jesus will define the kingdom of God through the cross more than signs and wonders? That he'll define the kingdom of God as one of sacrifice. He defines the kingdom of God as sacrifice. Not signs and wonders and all these things. That's just what happens when you proclaim the message. That it's demonstrated. But it's going to be of sacrifice. What would it look like for you guys to serve outside of your normal routines? To, to invite people into your home that you're not very friendly with or comfortable around. To embrace who they are and accept them. That's the kingdom. Embrace the people that don't have community. I mean, these are just off the top of my head. How do you, how do you live a life in the kingdom? Where you're at? How do you usher in wholeness and healing? Imagine the type of healing that would come from the guy that never gets really invited who becomes in in your crew. That's the kingdom of God. Practically, there's so many ways. We just got to start asking the questions and implementing them. Discipline yourself. Have one meal a, a month, one meal a week with someone who's not in your community, someone that's outside of your general hanging out time. Just do that and see what happens to your life. See how much of your life will be filled with the kingdom of God. It's like, wow, that's pretty easy. It is. Uh, and the third thing I just want to say is, in order to live a life in the kingdom of God, we need to wake up to discipleship. Discipleship is not a check off the list. It's not a, a Sunday, a midweek, prayer night. It's a immersing yourself in following Jesus as your rabbi. You need to wake up to the devotion of Christ. You need to wake up to the call to literally surrender everything, deny your life so that you may follow Jesus. 
give up some things, add some things. You just need to receive your identity first, begin to live in the proclamation of the kingdom in, in, throughout your life, and then you start, you start devoting yourself in areas of your life. Again, it's, it's disciplines, there's things there. I'm, and again, this isn't about works righteousness, we're saved by grace, but this is about growing up in the faith. Study what discipleship looks like. Read John. What would it look like if everyone read the Bible every day? We memorized scripture. We learned how to pray for one another. We, if we spent time listening to God, some of you need to wake up and not do those things. You need to wake up and go on a walk and just spend time with Jesus. Because you're such, a, you're such the kind that, that gets the, the tasks done. You're so driven. So yeah, I'll read my Bible. I'll pray. I'll fast. I'll do it. But you, you need to get rid of that stuff. Because that's getting in the way for you to receive your, your discipleship of Jesus. Does that make sense? So some of you, it's an invitation and permission to not read your Bible. You just spend, and, and I'm not saying across, that's a rule. So you know who you are. But those of you that are like, yes, that's not you. <laughs> but some of you are like, man, that would be really hard because I define my spirituality by what I do. You know what I'm talking about? Others of you, you need to get on, you just need to start doing it. Wake up. All right, and the fourth thing, I don't know how long I've gone. I'm sorry if this has taken a little long. But I want us to know that to live a life of the kingdom is to live in the authority of Jesus Christ. We live with an authority. We live with an authority. I taught on this a few, I think a couple months ago, the authority of Jesus Christ. I explained what the kingdom of God looks like, what the spirit of God looks like when Jesus is on earth. And then he does all these things. He restores creation. He heals the sick. He, he cleanses the, the diseases. He he uh, forgives sins. He's, um, he's, restore, uh, he's, he's casting out demons. He raises the dead. All of this stuff is part of the kingdom of God and his authority. And then he says to his followers, you guys, go do it. And for us, we're like, whoa, that's crazy. But what do they do? They cast out demons. They heal the sick. They raise the dead. Follow the book of Acts. That's just part of life. And somehow we've divorced the proclamation with the demonstration. We should expect, when the kingdom of God is presented to us, things to happen. Not As long as God's up to it, we should expect that. So, we live in an authority. question is, how do you live day-to-day in the authority of Jesus Christ? Now, remember, the authority is His authority, and it's the, a, a capacity to have power, authority. And so, I want to say this. In order to live a life of authority, number one, we align ourselves with Jesus Christ. This is John 15. We abide in what he's doing. His words abide in us. And when that happens, Jesus says, we can ask whatever we wish in his name and they will be done for us. So number one, it's about aligning ourselves to what Jesus is up to. What are you doing here? Only doing what the Father is doing. That's, that's the aligning ourselves. So if we want to live in authority, we have to align ourselves with, with Jesus. Well, how do we do that? Number, uh, how, do we, how do we align ourselves? We do that through intimacy with Jesus Christ. The only way to live in an authority is intimate, personal obedience to Jesus Christ. That means time. We spend time with him. And that's, he, he, wants to, he wants us to spend time uniquely to our genetic our, our personality, our, our unique gifting makeup. I'm so different than Stephen. We have a leadership meeting the other day, and we're like on opposite pages all the time. We hear God so differently. But that's good. 
align yourself with Jesus Christ and you practice intimacy, how do you learn intimacy? Well, spend time listening to him. Pray. Quiet, solitude time. We're going to learn next week. Jesus gets away. When the ministry is successful, he sneaks away at night in the early morning, excuse me, and spends time defining himself out of what Abba says, not what people say. So intimacy with Jesus, that comes from prayer. It also comes from uh, uh, reading the Word. The Bible is, is an amazing tool, a gift. It's the living Word of God. This thing, study it. I love the Jewish uh, community. They believe that study was the highest form of worship in the Jewish uh, kind of community. Because this is the written Word of God. In God's words, we, we can inhale, we can breathe, we can memorize. Study the Word of God. Hear what Jesus is saying in the text. The third is, is about transformation of mind. It's the partnership. It's about the spiritual dis- disciplines. Intimacy comes with the, all three of those things. Um, another way to align yourself with Jesus is simply to be filled with His Holy Spirit. Some of us are doing everything on our own accord, and we need to let go and simply receive the Holy Spirit. And every day, be renewed, be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Every day I wake up and do my devotion, I'm asking God to, to, re, to fill me up. Paul says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Every day. So be filled with... And number four is, I think, uh, as we align ourselves with Jesus, we, we practice intentional fellowship and accountability. We live together in community intentionally as we, as we, as we move forward as, as a community in the authority of Jesus. We, we, we shouldn't operate outside of the community's kind of input. Does that make sense? We, we're never called to be the Lone Ranger. We're always held accountable to a standard. So all of this, all of these things are, are, are teaching us authority. And what happens out of that is we begin to pray like Jesus. We begin to ask His words. We begin to uh, discern what He's up to. This is all about discernment. We begin to d- discern how we pray for people, what to pray for. We begin to pray in boldness. Does that make sense? Okay. So that, those are just my notes and my review and my practical, my practical um, analysis of the last five weeks. So number one, we live in his identity. Number two, uh, we live in the power of the proclamation of God's kingdom. Number three, um, we need to wake up to discipleship. And number four, we live with the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. I'm going to invite Mickey up. We're going to continue to worship and uh, begin to respond to what God's up to and, and what He wants for us. Um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, this is one of those messages where you can take it so many different ways. And I just want to, I want to speak to some of you right now that uh, we, we felt in the prayer time that it's very specific prayer for certain individuals. Every week we want to pray for people um, and just invite you to stand. So what I want to do is this. I feel like the last five weeks has really, uh, what's been resonating is identity. Um, it's standing up in who we are and what God says about us. And so what I would like to do right now is simply pray for those of us that just kind of need some encouragement in who we are. Maybe we're going through some trials right now. Our, we're going through some serious burdens. Our family life has been messed up. Maybe our job life has been messed up. Maybe the things that have defined us is, is just where, we put our, where we've laid our hat it's kind of been taken away. I just feel like we need to pray for those of us that just need encouragement for who we are. Um, and if that's you, would you just stand where you're at? We're going to pray for you, where you wherever you're at. Thank you for standing. Thank you for standing. Thanks for being bold. Guys, this is the way we participate together as a community. Some of us need prayer this morning. I think there's a few more. I just need a couple, just some encouragement over who we are. You want to hear your belovedness spoken over you this morning.
going to wait because I, I really sense that maybe there's, there's more of us. And if your heart's pounding right now and you're like, I don't want to stay, that might be you. So would you just stand up? I think God wants to just bless you this morning. We're not going to do anything weird. We're just going to lay hands and pray for you. just want to get encouragement. Encouragement to stand where you are in circumstances and not be shaken by, by the realities around you. Thank you for standing, guys. Thank you for standing. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden, or if you would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org. I come to wait.